we just try to ignore a lot of the noise and say, you know, what levers can we pull if we truly care about these problems, climate change and energy security um, and energy poverty, what can we do? And this is, you know, there's some obvious things. And, and if you truly care about it, I think you need to pull all the levers you have. And this is a really quick and easy one. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with International Justice Mission. Thank you to Philip Calvert and his team for the incredible work they do to bring awareness to the global problem of modern day slavery. I'm proud to share with my audience that I have formalized my relationship with IGMs for becoming one of their Canadian ambassadors. Why? Because I believe we can end slavery in our lifetime and I wanna use my platform to be part of that mission. For many of you, hearing that statement may be a rallying cry. For the rest, it may be a moment of, wait, what, slavery? Is that even a thing? For me, up to 12 to 18 months ago, it was the second. I did not even understand the problem or that it existed at the scale that it does. Currently, there are over 40 million people affected by modern day slavery. 40 million people. After a chance meeting with Philip Calvert, National Director of Development for IGM Canada, my eyes were open to the reality that poor people face the world over, a reality of violence that stops them from ever moving forward in their life. At first, this made me uncomfortable. Then it made me downright mad, but then it gave me hope. It is support of groups like IGM that will allow us to reach the goal of any slavery in our lifetime and give hope to people who may have none. I know this can be an uncomfortable conversation and that is okay. That's why we're gonna go on this journey together. Stay tuned as we host guests from IGM who will help educate us as well as upcoming events that where we can meet the amazing people that make the work they do a reality. Please join me in supporting this incredible organization by visiting and donating to their cause at www.igm.ca. We will only succeed in any slavery in our lifetime if we work together to make a difference. Hello and welcome to Collisions YYC, Follow the Money, Investing with Purpose, a show where we have real conversations with people that are driving change in our community. Today's episode is going to be exciting. I think we can check off a lot of the Follow the Money boxes from the realities of a raise, the realities of the challenges of growth catching the right market at the right time with the right idea, and then running as fast as you can to keep up with it. And with that, I'm going to be proud to introduce Mr. Connor O'Shea. How are you, Connor? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me today, Tyler. Uh, it's absolutely my pleasure. I'm not, as usual, I don't even remember how we met. The world The world conspires. I think someone on your team reached out to me and kind of got your story on my radar. WestGen Technologies, you're the co-founder and CEO. Small world, over coffee this morning, my wife's company, Spartan Delta Corp, they used one of your one of your modules and they used part of it, part of your solution. So you were the conversation over coffee. So I'm looking forward to diving in a little bit. So before we before we go any farther, let's jump in the old elevator. What is a West what is a West Gen Technologies? And let's let the uh, let's let the audience in behind the curtain here. Sure. So um at West Gen, our I'll start with our purpose. Our purpose is empowering the energy evolution. We can talk more about that later. Um, but very specifically, what we do is we solve a problem called gas pneumatics. And what gas pneumatics is, if you think about the word pneumatic or pneumatic device, most people don't know what that is, but they actually do. Um, so an air gun that that you use to put the tires on a, on a car in a mechanic's garage, that's a pneumatic device. In oil and gas, we use pneumatic devices to open and close valves and control the flow from the wells. Um, but in, in oil and gas, often these locations are in the middle of nowhere. There's no access to power grid, and therefore we can't run an air compressor. So we don't have compressed air to use these pneumatic devices. We use uh, what we do have available, which is the compressed natural gas coming out of the well. And the problem is that when we use the natural gas in the pneumatic device, the gas vents into the atmosphere after it's used. The gas is composed 90% of methane, and methane is a significant 
greenhouse gas, so about 26 times the uh, warming potential of CO2 over a 100-year period. And so what, what WestGen Technologies does is we've developed a power generation system that allows us to run an air compressor on a remote location very reliably and therefore eliminate those emissions. Um, and so a typical application of one of our units, like the one um, at your wife's company, Spartan Delta, would, would reduce emissions the equivalent of about uh, 250 cars off the road for each unit that we deploy. And on a uh, that's annually, two, 250 cars a, a off the road on a yearly basis? Per year. Yeah, per year. And curious, yeah. and this seems maybe like an obvious question, but this is just the way we did it. Like so many things that were evolving and realizing, hey, there's a better way. This was not some malicious intent or someone being reckless with their well site. This was simply the way we got things done when we didn't have another technology to supplant it. Is that is that a, is that a fair way to kind of position it as far as the industry and where we're where we've come from versus where we're going? Yeah, I think it, that is a fair way to position it. It's a legacy issue. Um, they, you know, there there actually are some reasons why we didn't do it that way. One of them was a lack of power generation technology. Uh, Oper- or, uh, power generation technology offerings in the market okay. um, that suited that application. And that's one of the, you know, that's what WestGen has done that's different than other companies is we've developed an, a new way of generating power um, for that application. And, uh, and that's how we've been able to catch the traction we have. So the real, the real limiting factor there was, well, I would, I would plug in my electric impact gun if I had access, but I don't have any power. So this is what we're going to do instead back to the pneumatics of, you know, the air gun we've all seen on formula one or at the Jiffy Lube when we go and get our winter tires changed. Uh, How long have you guys been in business? What's the, what's the timeline just to kind of set this up for the audience? So myself and my co-founder, we started working on the business. We actually started with a list of ideas that was in early 2018. Um, we decided on this idea kind of mid 2018, um, we worked on our, on our plans and evenings and weekends. And then in, uh, in March, 2019, we incorporated the company. My first child was born and I actually left my job on a parental leave to start WestGen and start working on it full time, nice. <laughs> um, with <laughs> very little sleep at the time. Um, yes. And so we were both three and a half years old. Three and a half. Okay. Three and a half. And Bootstrap for less, you know, from the specifics don't follow the money, loving to really understand the nuts and bolts. And it's great to always look and go, oh, it's so exciting where you are now. And we'll get into the, you know, how success can also kill you as, as well as the trial and error of, of establishing. Bootstrap, did you have some early stage investors? Just curious what that was like. You're getting this thing going, yourself and your partner. What did the first, like, what did the financial model look like in those very early days? For sure. So we were, we were very fortunate. Um, ben and I did the classic entrepreneur thing we mortgaged our houses and took out all of our money that we had saved in any form and invested it into the business to uh finance construction of the first prototype unit um we did get the first prototype unit working and we sold that unit in the fall of 2019 uh, for a very small profit and reinvested that profit in and built the next one um and what we were able to do was negotiate really favorable payment terms with our vendors Mm. and so we ended up with a a model where we had a negative cash conversion cycle so um we had a bigger deposit coming in from the customer on a sale and paying a smaller deposit to our vendors so we actually financed the growth of the company for the first over two years using cash flow from sales fantastic and was that was that a very um premeditated business strategy or was 
that how it just happened because of needing to survive. And I'm always love to look at like, you look back and go, wow, genius. You're like, well, no, that just came together because we didn't have any option. It wasn't that we had that part of the master plan. So when you think about the financial planning side of it, was that part of the quote unquote strategy or was that the strategy that it emerged because that's what you needed to do to make it actually work? (laughs) I'd say it's a little of column A and a little of column B. I mean, in reality, it was probably like, oh man, how are we going to pay these bills? (laughs) Oh, let's tell them we can't pay them. (laughs) And, and, And see what they say. That's a good start. Yeah. And from that perspective, you're in 2019. So we're before the global disruption in supply chain. We're, you know, in Western Canada, we're six years into a downturn or a challenging oil and gas or a challenging energy market. We're the customers, we'll talk on both sides. Let's talk about your vendors because thinking about them, they're also running their businesses and now they're kind of bankrolling you to a certain extent by giving you favorable terms. Was there an appetite there to participate? Were they risk adverse because well, it's just another startup that we're extending credit to that might disappear. I'm just curious what those conversations look like, knowing that probably a lot of those suppliers were under their own pressures for other reasons, uh, aside from you and your, and, and your, and your quote unquote little idea at the time, which has turned into something awesome. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and I, I think it was a real key part of our success was that we, we built really great trusting relationships with those suppliers and, we really brought them into what we were doing and the you know the the impact that we were aiming to make and i would say that our suppliers you know a lot of them really bought into this alongside of us Mm -hmm. and took risks that they might not have taken uh, for other customers that they had and was that simply put like being a being a good business person, guy, gal, and calling them up and earning their trust and having conversations and getting to know you? Because that's such an easy statement to glance over. Oh, we just built trust with our partners. Oh yeah, check check the build trust box. That's not how it works <laughs> because every vendor is going to have a different and they're going to have different experience that they've had. I'm thinking about if I'm an entrepreneur or I'm anyone in the startup ecosystem, I hear, oh, build trust. What did you guys do? And I, yeah, we can go down there. We could have a whole episode just on this. But what were some of the things that you look back and go, wow, those were real difference makers in the way we established those relationships? I think the biggest thing was that we didn't, you know, we didn't start a business doing something that was completely unrelated to the expertise and experiences that we had. So, Mm, you know, I had spent 12 years at Shell, um, had had a number of different jobs in there that, you know, gave me a different perspective on running businesses. And Ben had been a facilities engineer where he had actually designed the sites that we were creating this solution to, um, you know, to go into. Um, so when we showed up, you know, we had this idea, but we also had a lot of credibility. And we, the other thing we had was traction with customers and relationships with customers. And I think a lot of people, you know, that's one of their measures of, hey, is this, is this a serious thing? Or is this a couple of guys in their garage who don't really know what they're doing? Mm. And being able to have that conversation. And and again, Western Canada, it, it is there is a big small town factor here, which I believe is one of our superpowers. And being in a in a in an organization like you were, that Rolodex, quote unquote, that none of us have on our desk. But I don't know. I'm of a generation when someone says Rolodex, I know what they mean. I've got people that I can call to like run my idea by. Would you be interested if we built such a thing? And obviously regulation was also working maybe in step or in your favor when things this Five years ago, would this have gotten on the radar like it did even the last couple of years? Like, is that also just the right idea at the right time, would you say, of, of like coming into the market when all of a sudden leadership teams are like, okay, this needs to be on our radar. We need to make changes because we're being we're being watched more, more rigorously, specifically around the ESG uh, bucket. Yeah, absolutely. 
that was part of it. And um, the timing of it was that in early 2018, when Ben and I were kind of working on this list of ideas, the, the Alberta Energy Regulator actually announced around that time that they were changing Directive 60 and you weren't going to be allowed to emit methane from pneumatic devices on new sites past January 1st, 2022. <laughs> so we, we had these regulatory tailwinds. At the time, it was before the industry was thinking about this or before they had really adopted okay. it or got in their head that they were going to. But we saw the regulations were about to change and uh, the writing was starting to be on the wall. So that that definitely was part of the narrative and that definitely helped with catching traction with all the different types of parties that supported us. Well, what an amazing push-pull moment when you can push the idea of orifices, all of a sudden the industry is going out there looking for the solution because someone with a big stick came in and said, listen, no more of this. So January 22 has now happened. Has that been an onslaught of companies that maybe were ahead of the care? Like there's always the early adopters that are like, oh, we see this coming, we'll get ahead of it. Or oh, we've got 10 other things, we'll work on this when January comes. And how much teeth does that have with the AR? Like, is, is that, is, are you having orders coming out of your ears right now because that date has now come and passed? Um, yeah, I would say that the, the demand, I mean, I, if I look at the total addressable market for what we do, mm -hmm. it was close to zero when we started because nobody <laughs> was doing this. It, yeah, it just wasn't a, a common practice. Um, and today, you know, the, the, um, the new well site market in Canada is maybe $50 million a year. And so that's, you know, that's here now because the regulations are in. And, and if an oil and gas producer builds a site that emits methane, they're going to have to shut, you know, they won't be allowed to operate it. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's honestly, we're just at the beginning of this because what's happening in the United States um, through the Inflation Reduction Act, they just announced a methane tax that's going up to $1,500 per ton. Ooh, interesting. Um, but even the EPA in November announced a rule that's basically phasing out gas emissions from pneumatic devices on all new and existing sites, likely over the next five to seven years. And that's about a $10 billion market to do all of that work. So, you know, we're, we're super excited because, yes, the market's grown a ton, but it's it's only just getting started in terms of how, how big this market is and how big this problem is and, and that it needs to be solved. Amazing. And so many, and not just you out there doing the education of like, Hey, this needs to be solved. Come try our solution was so many times in a startup or, a, you know, even as a marketer, when I talk to companies, it's like, how much are you responsible for the education of this solution? Oh, well, our customers have no clue that it's even available. I'm like, that's a heavy lift. Like, I don't care how you cut it. And there's no, you, no matter what, you don't have enough budget to do that. I don't, you know, almost who you are to a certain extent versus, you know, we always joke, you look at a brand or you look at positioning, if there's a culture or there's a wave that's happening already and you can get on it, that's so much easier than try to create the wave yourself, which is almost impossible for most small companies. Yeah, hundred percent. There was still a, a heavy lift with education and actually okay. on, on a budget was fun. Um, so what Ben and I did was <laughs> we bought pizza for just about every engineering and oil and gas production company nice. in the city of Calgary prior to COVID. And we went around uh, and our, our pitch was teaching people about the regulations and teaching people about the technologies that they could use to uh, address these new regulatory challenges. And and part of why we were able to catch traction quickly is because we were able to get our foot in the door because when we called up an engineer and said, hey, we're doing this lunch and learn, would you like to come and do it? Um, they they kind of thought, hey, that's on my list of things I need to figure out because I just nice. learned about this regulation that just changed. Um, so from that perspective, it was, you know, the, the doors were already open. 
And you guys spent the time and the energy to go out there and, you know, the, 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 feed your audience with pizza, but then give them the information and become the top of mind solution. I appreciate the legwork that that doesn't happen by accident. And on a budget, you know, oh, we could do digital media, we could do all these things, or we could just go out and physically meet with people, which I, which I do, you know, the, the, the old, especially pre-COVID about the amount of business you could do by just hanging out in the plus 15 all day. Like one of, one of the things, certainly when you talk about Calgary as a, as a specific, that geography of just bumping into people, it, it does go a long way. And it's even, even post-COVID and work remote, bumping into people still isn't, isn't a bad strategy. So talk to me a little bit about, and you were just on, um, telling it like it is with Jade Albert. Jade's a good friend of mine. And I was looking, I was, I was doing the cheat, cheat notes this morning, listen to your episode, like three to a hundred employees. Where are you guys at? Like, let's talk a little bit about this growth. Like we got, we gave it a little bit of the foundation. You guys, you bootstrapped it. You funded it through, uh, through cash flow. I'm assuming you're at a point where that started to come unglued and we really needed to not only grow your team. So budget for that, but also just simply getting more money in the door to be able to, to build out like this is equipment. It doesn't build itself, right? <laughs> it takes inputs. Totally. Yeah. We, um, we we kind of shifted our mindsets. We we went through Creative Destruction Lab in uh, oh nice you guys did CDL nice okay cool mm. and we went in there kind of as a three person bootstrap company and they really encouraged us to and challenged us to you know um, think bigger uh, create something massive is their kind of mm -hmm. slogan um, so we came out of CDL saying you know what we we have this big market opportunity we're not going to fully capture what could be captured if we if we continue to try to bootstrap this so we're going to raise money at the same time the global supply chain melted down with covid and our tidy cash conversion cycle went out the window because all of a sudden we were paying for solar panels six months in advance before even receiving them um so we realized we needed some money uh, right around the same time we also entered the u.s market so we went into the u.s market last summer and uh, started catching traction very quickly, much more quickly than we thought. Um, so all of a sudden it was, uh, you know, kind of, we, we had to move. Um, so if I, I like the, the one year kind of comparison today, because if you look back at September, 2021, we we're a team of nine, we we're still self-funded. We were just starting the fundraise process. At the time we were actually thinking that we might raise um, $2 million. And then by the time we we started seeing the traction in the U.S. and what was happening in the supply chain, we um, we we went through the fundraising process. We engaged Peters and Co. to help us. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, the other at the other end of that, we ended up raising twenty one million dollars, um, which wasn't a moment too soon, mm -hmm. um, because the when the orders started coming in, we we had to staff up to meet them. And what we found was we actually couldn't rely on our subcontracted vendors anymore. We actually had to take our production in-house. Um, so in January, we actually opened a manufacturing facility. Um, and so now looking at that 12 months, you know, going from we were nine people, then we're uh, closing in on 100 people today. Wow. Um, and, and I know you have a new child. In the mix. Do you get any sleep at all, Connor? Just, just, just asking, you know, asking for a friend. <laughs> Do you get any rest? <laughs> The funny thing is Ben and I both, uh, have a three-year-old and we both have a one-year-old. So there's been, <laughs> yeah. there's been two four month periods in the company's history where neither founder is getting any sleep at all. <laughs> um, but we're, we're comfortably out of that now. So things are back to, I mean, I mean, until the next round of whatever, you know, the next round of, of, of realities or life. Yeah. Uh, 
Talk a little bit about, you know, started with an, with an idea of 2 million, you went to 21. Where did the money come in from? Is it south of the border money? Is it local? What was that process like? Was, was it easier because your idea, everyone was getting it and there was so much pull from the, from the, you know, the, 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 the customer, your, your fit was there, the product market fit and people could see that. Talk to me a little bit about was quote unquote, and I, I hate to use this word, was it easy to raise the 21 million or you still had to go through the steps? Talk, you know, maybe a little bit of the nuts and bolts of that easy and 21 million, two words that don't normally go together. I would say there was a lot of interest. I would say it was not easy because okay. it was a lot of work, um, which you, you, know, you don't even appreciate how much work it is to go through it. Um, but there was a lot of interest and uh, we, we were just very fortunate to find ourselves in a place that kind of straddled you know traditional energy and oil field services and mm. clean technology yeah. and uh, energy transition type investments and that was a really hot spot for investors particularly energy uh investors who you know were maybe had 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 raised funds but had some restrictions around not being allowed to invest in emps anymore and things yeah, like yeah, that yeah. at the time um so there was there was quite a bit of funds out there looking for the type of opportunity that we presented um so that from that perspective it was easy um in terms of where we landed we we ended up doing a deal with arc financial okay. and another smaller uh vc in in calgary called idea well capital partners um we did have options for money south of the border and in fact some that had higher valuation than than where we ended up landing um, but it's really important to us to find a partner that was really aligned with our values and our purpose. Mm -hmm. And both ARC and IdeaWell kind of met that, uh, checked that box in terms of really being, you know, important um, contributors to this this industry in this region, um, and and having a long past of supporting. I really appreciate that. I've had uh, Brian Belanger from ARC on the show talking a little bit about, you know, their very traditional oil and gas investment, but also their interest in this sector and but why it, it still has to meet certain criteria. I appreciated just a very common sense, but innovative approach that he brought to the conference. It was, it was a good conversation and certainly opened my eyes a little bit to ARC and what, what they are in, involved in. When you were, you, you mentioned values, you, you mentioned it earlier on empowering the energy evolution. How important was that? Obviously, for running an organization and using that as like, okay, in all the chaos, are we still doing the thing we set out to do? But from an investment perspective, how much was that part of the conversation? And I know it never surplants the, well, is this a good business model? Does it make sense financially? But in those conversations we're having, your purpose and the alignment with your investor, always curious how much that plays that plays in, or is it just a nice to have, or was it a real critical factor for not only how you looked at them, but how they looked at you? I would say uh, it was a critical factor in both directions. Okay. Um, both Arc and Idea Well are are very focused on um, you know on on the energy industry and energy transition, um, and so I'd say it underpinned it. There still needed to be a good business model and a good mm -hmm. product and good customers and good team. Um, so all those things still had to be in place, um, but you know being being a purpose-driven organization, the other thing is it it gives you know it gives us a whole bunch of advantages, competitive advantages in the market relative to other companies that that are not um, 
and and it's things like attracting and retaining talented people. So even with this kind of boom period that we're in, in Calgary, we've we've added we've added close to ninety people in the last year. Really, really talented people, awesome, engaged, smart, hardworking people, and we have not had a problem finding those people because That's they're right because, they're because of what, what yeah why they want to join join your team why they want to be part mm-hmm. of the change that's awesome and i'll uh, curious if those people are they local are they individuals that were typically energy sector individuals uh, you know i'm always because again you can't talk to anybody today and you're not hearing about some type of labor challenge at every level of business from the entry level all, all the way up are they people that you found were able to find here in western canada did you bring people in just curious what that recruiting actually looked like um, I would say almost exclusively people in West from Western Canada okay. Interesting. and mostly background of energy industry. Your solution, is it obviously you guys, how much of it was a, a novel, uh, you took a bunch of existing things from solar panels and bolted them together to create a solution. Is, was that the secret sauce about we are going to take things that are known out there and put them together? Or was there a degree of like, no, no, we have our own secret sauce. Or was it, you know, because I guess when I'm circling around, I've talked to a lot of companies that are like, well, yeah, it wasn't as scary because everything we did was known technology. We just put it together in a way to solve a new a problem in a different way. We didn't have to recreate anything. We just bolted it together in a way that was exciting. I've talked to a few startups and they said, well, yeah, that made a huge difference because our audience would go, oh, okay, I get what you do. You don't have to, but how you're doing it or what you're using it to solve, that was the unique part. Was that true for you guys in terms of how you how it all kind of came together? That, sorry, that question wasn't super clearly worded. <laughs> no, that, I get exactly where, you, where you're going. Um, I would say that is a reasonably accurate characterization. Okay. You know, there's some novel things that we've done in the engine control system um, and fuel management systems um, and lubrication systems. So there's some some innovation there, but by and large, all the parts are off the shelf. Mm, okay, and we haven't. Thank you. We haven't. <laughs> Thank you for understanding something. my question. <laughs> we haven't figured out something new about physics. Um, and I think that's really important. And, you know, as in our story is that we were able to move quickly and get something to market very quickly that by and large worked. You know, there's a lot of a learning curve on getting it to work better. Um, but even the first unit worked reasonably well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that was a big part of our ability to do the, the speed we've done it. From the outside looking in, that's kind of where my brain was calculating it, but I want I didn't want to make any assumptions. You said something earlier about where your solution fits, where it has a very much tie into the traditional, the way we've done it, but also this journey we're on to become more conscious about the way we extract and the way we deal with our energy sector. Maybe a little bit higher level, we think about clean tech, we think about all of the innovation, we think about the pressure around and the and the commitment for so many companies around ESG. Sometimes there's this narrative like, oh, we have to throw away everything old and just start new. And then there's this other narrative like, we're never going to get to where we need to globally by trying to throw anything out. We've got to be able to augment and improve and, and, and incrementally scale up. It sounds to me, and I'm curious your views of, that feels like right where you guys landed. But also this narrative of like, throw it all away and start fresh is just an unrealistic narrative when it comes to the global, like we need energy abundance, not energy scarcity, and that can create that. So curious your views as you look at what Western Canada has been going through as a transition. How are you finding that narrative out there? Maybe some of the pressures that are coming from other parts of Canada, Central or East, as you and I joked about before we got on, about, oh, this is all bad, versus what I'm seeing in Western Canada is often these incremental changes. Your company made a great example. 
that are having impact, but we didn't blow up the past. We're just setting a real stage for the future. Kind of what are you seeing or even you know, philosophically your views around, around that? Great question. I have lots to say on this. I think, um, you know, this is, this comes down to our purpose or identity as a group of people. Um, we see, you know, polarization and people on either side that are, um, having divisive conversations and maybe there's, you know, I think there's a role for that and there's, that's part of a, a society, but we see ourselves as maybe the more pragmatic element of people that are saying, okay, forget about all that noise. What can we do today that's going to make a big impact and how can we make the biggest impact we can with what we have available to us today um and so we just we just try to ignore a lot of the noise and say you know what levers can we pull if we truly care about mm. these problems climate change and energy security um and energy poverty what can we do and this is, you know, there's some obvious things. And, and if you truly care about it, I think you need to pull all the levers you have. And this is a really quick and easy one. Um, so that's, that's kind of our view. The, but philosophically, you know, I'll launch into my, um, I mentioned our purpose, empowering the energy evolution. And we, we like to call it the energy evolution because I, I think energy transition is a bit of a misnomer. Mm, yes. Energy <laughs> transition implies we have one thing, we're going to a different thing. And I think what the reality is, is that our energy system is a reflection of the values and what um, society has wanted or valued over the past. And that was affordable um, and cheap energy. And those values are changing where we're now saying, okay, it's actually really important for us to have clean energy and uh, address the emissions problems. And I think that the energy industry is evolving to now reflect those new values or those changing evolving values of society. And so I think it's not, in my mind, a transition, it's an evolution because hmm. we've actually got, the reality is we've got a mix of energy sources. Each source has its own characteristics. And over time, that um, both mix and the characteristics of the sources within the mix, those things are evolving through time. They're continuing to evolve. And we're going to, we're moving to a, um, a, a place that reflects all of these needs. I really love, and thank you for the reminder of be, being very careful how I use that word transition, because it kind of got out of my, and it snuck back in, because you, you get so inundated in the media and you start using it, but you're right, this is an evolution. And to get for some of these aggressive goals we've set for ourselves as a nation and as, you know, globally, it's through, it's through evolution, not like, oh, we're going to turn all this off and turn on this on. Because you're right, everyone has its own, every every type of energy has its own factors to take into consideration. And, you know, this isn't a net new tomorrow so solution. I do appreciate the philosophy around that. And are you are you seeing that with your customers? Like, is this, oh, we need to meet the regulations or no, this is a bigger, this is part of our bigger initiative. And this is a great incremental way for us to keep moving in the right direction. Like, is that more the dialogue that you're encountering whether it's you know a Spartan Delta or a super major that you're talking with. Mm -hmm. This is a, a really interesting shift that we've seen in the three years since we started the business. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I would say in, in my history in oil and gas, um, environment's always been on the agenda. Um, but it's it's maybe not been a strategic item on the agenda. Okay. And where we're seeing now is oil and gas companies are starting to realize. If I, if I become a leader in this, 
I'm going to be rewarded and my shareholders are going to be rewarded because my share price is going to go up and my company is going to have less risk and be more saleable or more, you know, more attractive to the public if it's a public company. So there's all these now kind of strategic or economic reasons that oil and gas executive teams and oil and gas companies are saying, actually, this isn't a cost burden. This is a strategic capital investment that will give us a return on our investment and and uh, and create a better, more sustainable business. So we're seeing it changing a lot from a check the box or a do it because we have to exercise to, hey, this is something that as a company, we're going to decide to be leaders in because we think it's a good business strategy. Is this yeah, moving from the expense side of the balance sheet to the you know, revenue side of the PL, I guess, if you want to look at it that way, which is interesting is it shifts that, you know, we can get a conversation around the capitalist model of like, oh, you know, return value to shareholder no matter what, versus, well, we can do that while also including the rest of our world, the public at large, so on and so forth. Like it, it broadens out that definition, which again, been going down some rabbit holes lately on different versions of how we interpret capitalism versus the last 30 years versus maybe how it started out. That's a, but again, another podcast for another day, <laughs> reduce the rabbit hole. I really appreciate that that shift, and I love from as going back to you as a business. No, nothing more powerful than an idea whose time has come. I forget even who said that, but interesting to hear that like you guys, you know, sat around and had a list, and we're going to build it, and, we're, and we pick something that also just happened to line up. How much of it was, you know, looking back, and maybe a weird question, just just the chance of you picked the right thing at the right time, and you know, hindsight is twenty uh, twenty is I, I'm really smart when I look back sometimes. How much was that a factor? Just as oh, I'm a I'm an entrepreneur listening to this, and I've got that list. You happen to pick the the quote unquote right thing. Any thoughts about just that journey and how this one happened to just really line up for you guys with a kind of hard work? I don't want to minimize that at all. Like you just lucked out. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> hmm. um, no, I I think we're we we don't make it that way. We're, we <laughs> feel very fortunate to have uh, picked you know what we did. It was very intentional. So we did we did choose it because we kind of saw that it was something that the industry yeah. was going to need. Um, but in hindsight, you know, that was one of the factors we weighed. I would doing that analysis again, I would weigh it much higher because mm-hmm. the amount yeah. of momentum we've had, because this is something that people want to talk about and it's on their agenda. Um, it's immeasurable mm-hmm. the difference that it's made. So, you know, in hindsight, if I was coaching myself hmm. uh, three, four years ago, you know, I would say that it may make that much higher weighting in your in your decision making um, to the point where I might actually not. I might say I probably if I'm going to start another business again in my life, I'm not going to start a business that isn't part of, you know, the the emerging trends or things that people need. That, that ability for that gravitational pull to kind of pull the idea forward versus you doing having to do all the lifting kind of almost against gravity sometimes. <laughs> Mm-hmm. A question I'm curious, and there's something you said on, on, on Jade's show that, that I've never really gone down this rabbit hole with anybody. Uh, being in a partnership, I myself have been in a very successful business partnership uh, for the last 15 years. And it's amazing how many people go, ooh, how's the partnership? Ooh, is, is it good? I'm like, no, it's great. It's like, But there's more stories than not of partnerships that do go awry. And I think there was a bottle of whiskey story maybe that I overheard on your podcast, on your episode with Jade that really struck me. How much, curious, like there's the you and your partner, we'll talk about that for a second, but even when you're going out for investment, 
How much was that a factor for investors going, whoa, okay, let's mitigating my risk here? Because I'm sure if I'm a smart investor, I've been involved, I've involved in companies that have blown up because two partners didn't work out. Curious of just what you guys did to make sure that that, you know, so far so good. But also, was that a factor with investors? Was that something they wanted to dig in a little bit on of what, who are the two founders and how's their relationship? And, you know, are they going to be our weak link five years down the road if this thing takes off? I think uh, it's definitely a topic of conversation. Um, it's definitely, you know, a business risk being, being realistic. <laughs> it is. It um, is. Ben and I have great trusting relationship. We we fight like, you know, school children, but, um, but it's, it's Our, iron iron it sharpens helps. iron. I've heard as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was, and there's, there's some, you know, some terms in the USA that the, that were negotiated that were to mitigate risks and things like that. Mm -hmm. And what happens yeah. if, so what that was part if, of it yeah. for sure. And for you, would but, you, it sounds like it's a clear strength and something that, you know, again, the right partnership is the best thing ever. The wrong one is this marriage friendships, like insert the thing in, in there. But when that force multiplier, having two people in a business that, you know, maybe each have their own strengths, but always have each other's back. And well, you know, the belief that even if I step away from my one-year-old, I know that that business is being taken care of as well or better than if I was there. I'm assuming that's been also a big factor for your success in terms of, you know, you guys being a, a true team. Even the word partner, take the word partner out of it. An actual team that you can rely on each other no matter what. Mm. Yeah, that's a massive part of it. And um, that's my other thing in hindsight that, you know, I would say was it is as important as that we picked something that was on trend um, was that we, we were good partners or we are good mm. partners um, and we complement each other's uh, strengths and weaknesses very well. So it's an interesting dynamic. We both have a very direct communication style, um, but we have polar opposite opinions on every single matter, um, which is- <laughs> Sounds like a feisty coffee meeting or whatever <laughs> that could be the case. It's productive though, because we tend to get to yeah. a different spot that we wouldn't have got without the two perspectives and the, the battle. Yes, the, the friction of, of of coming of beating it up. Do you guys know each other before? Did you kind of come together around let's let's do something? Yeah, just curious. Were you, were you guys friends prior to or acquaintances or businesses? How, how did the partnership kind of come together? Mm. Um, I I met Ben's sister, um, and then married her, and Ben was in <laughs> that, my that will do it. That will a... do it. Christmas dinners <laughs> get a lot more interesting. Okay, got it. Check check. Yeah, <laughs> I met his sister. And then married her. And so I inherited him one way or another. <laughs> yeah. I love it. No, I'm always curious about, because it's so critical and, you know, a great idea and a great opportunity when the relationships fail or business partnerships get strained for a variety of reasons. I've heard lots of stories of like, oh, that would have been so great if X, Y, Z didn't happen. And, you know, at a startup, in a startup phase, everything can kill you. Success can kill you. Failure can kill you. You know, th those who heard that joke, being a small business is like being a deer in the forest. You always have your ears up because anything can come out of anywhere. And if the partnership is solid, that, you know, you've got somebody who has your back. So uh, next steps, rapid growth, nine to 112 months. We thought we needed two. We raised 21. Uh, we're, we can't keep up with our orders. What's, uh, give us a little bit of the next, you know, three to six. I'm not going to ask for anything more than the next three to six months. What's on your horizon? And what gets you excited? What's when, what's keeping you up at night? Um, what's keeping me up at night? Um, I'll start with that. Um, there, we're just in such a dynamic period that there's, there's surprises every day. Mm. And, um, and there's a lot of, you know, a lot of 
oh, we would have done that differently if we could do it again. Um, but we're we're making a tremendous amount of progress, and we're evolving as a company and learning how to work together remarkably fast. And it's awesome to watch our team and what they're doing and what we're building. Um, so I'm really excited about six months from now because I think we're going to have really probably come over a hurdle on getting a lot of our systems working and starting to be more um, proactive than reactive um, and starting to really be deliberate about execution. Um, so that that's just a really fun challenge to be to be working with. Um, we've got you know some big gro growth uh, targets around our revenue. Uh, production is going to be a challenge to continue to scale production up in that um, in the environment that's right happening right now. Um, and and we'll be looking to establish more presence in the U.S. over the next six months. So that's going to be a, a really interesting learning curve as well. Are you guys doing all your manu? You said you brought everything "quote unquote" in house. Are you doing all your manufacturing and assembly in Canada, or here in Alberta? We are. Mm -hmm. Is there any yeah. thought about having to set up a facility in the U.S. just because of border and all the shenanigans that goes on? When it, it, it isn't just an imaginary line, there are some very real realities from running businesses on both on, in two different countries. Yeah, there is some thought about it um, that we haven't had really any issues, other than when um, when truckers blocked borders for a little while that was challenging right um we haven't had any issues doing the, the business from canada really um but opening a facility in the u.s would help us from a supply chain perspective with diversifying our supply chain risk yeah, i've had this conversation with other companies with with both sides of the border that's why i was curious if you know this eventually once it makes sense it, it kind of does like it doesn't until it does but then it can make a lot of sense really really quickly in, in terms of boot, you know boots on the ground and all the just logistics uh, last question i'd love to ask this my, my favorite match the magic wand question uh, more related to western canada our ecosystem whether it's from doing business from raising money any 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 and all of the above once i hand over the magic wand it's not for me to say anymore you've got the power but if you could wave the magic wand and make something happen or, or, or knock something at an obstacle or something that you feel is just ridiculous and holding us back out of the way, what would you do with your magic wand in reference to our kind of Western Canadian business ecosystem? For sure. Um, so for, for this question, I thought about it. And to me, the magic wand is policy certainty. Mm, and it's, it. um, I've got a couple of examples. So there's been a few policy moves in the U.S. that have created tremendous opportunities for investors and for entrepreneurs. And those are uh, things like 45Q, which is a tax credit for carbon sequestration. And uh, there's a lot of kind of certainty around what the economics look like within that program. Uh, and even recently in the last few weeks, this Inflation Reduction Act, um, which locks in subsidies on things like solar panels and battery cells into the 2030s and creates you know it just creates uh, some certainty around a business case it takes risk out of the equation mm. and when you do that you've got a bunch of of things that that happen that are really effective at creating innovation and and entrepreneurship um so funding becomes available because the business case is de-risked. Um, innovators become more inclined to take risk because they're, they kind of know more about what they're getting into. And, uh, and customers are more willing to adopt 
because they know that this is the framework that they're going to be living within. So I think policy certainty can go a long way toward creating the environment where that is ripe for uh, innovation and um, and uh, investment. And provincially or federally, do we, I, I have my own views, but do we suffer from just that lack of certainty in Canada where we're just kind of can't get that level of this is what we're doing and we're going to stick to it. Like I definitely feel we're a bit wishy-washy in that department. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Um, and there's a number of, of examples that you can look at there, um, including, you know, the, the shifting goalposts around the, the climate action plan and the reductions that are required there. And, um, and some of the shorter term nature of the, uh, incentives that have been provided on that side. Mm, yeah. Uh, short election cycles, agendas, you know, what are we really doing for the longer? Yeah. Anyways, yes. We can, again, another podcast ensues with this conversation where I quickly will devolve to just probably being more frustrated than educated. Uh, Connor, so good to have you on the show. Thanks for just willing to have a candid conversation. Love your success. Love to be able to share. This is, ex I started the show for reasons just like this to get what you do on the radar of people that are like, Hey, wow, that inspires me. I'm curious. I want to learn more. I, you know, I'll, I'll, I want to reach out. We need to get, we need to talk to this organization. And, uh, I really love what you guys are doing and your willingness to come on the show and, 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 uh, and share, and share the story. So thank you for that. Obviously, um, if someone wants to reach out, obviously LinkedIn, uh, West Gen, what, what any recommendation of anyone's just dying to chat with you, what's a good way to get hold of you? Um, probably LinkedIn is the easiest. Okay, right on. Yeah, that is, um, so there's not many, there's not many that, people you can't find on LinkedIn these days. It's great. It's such a good add, add a personal note if you're going to do that, advice. because otherwise I might assume you're looking to be a financial advisor for me or something. <laughs> you don't get those emails too, do you? <laughs> and westgentech.com is your guys' website. You got a cool video on here and lots of information. Uh, Connor, thanks so much for coming on. It was an absolute pleasure talking with you. Uh, best of luck with all your future adventures. And uh, I look forward to chatting a year from now to be that where, where are we now, WestGen story? <laughs> Awesome. Thank you for having me, Tyler. My pleasure.